to discuss the odd basketball websites out there where we can find interesting information that aren't talked about quite enough. And the first one I'd like to nominate is Razball.com. <laughs> They're weird. They write with a lot of personality, voice, and bias, which all of which I appreciate. And I mean bias in terms of players they love and don't love. Razball.com. Not that commercial. <laughs> but kind of, because Jalen is now writing for them. Yeah, I was going to let that sort of happen. <laughs> Check the articles out at Razball.com. I have a Chicago Bulls team preview uh, on Razball.com. And it if you like seeing NBA players get cooked by overseas guys in the Drew League, there's a link in there for that. So uh, open for a surprise, as they say. All right, the Washington Wizards, last year's fourth place team in the Southeast. They were 30 and 52, which is not a very good record. And I expect them to be much worse this year, which reflects how little I like the team as well. I'm fine with them being terrible. Um, it's also the team I'm least likely to watch on League Pass, even though I'm geographically closest to their arena. The Washington Wizards, they're going to be terrible. They have a lot of questions at a lot of positions. Let's start with the point guard position, possibly. Ish Smith, Isaiah Thomas, what's it going to be? I've read multiple depth charts that have each of them starting. Ish Smith. Detroit Pistons influence or something else, Kyle? The, I think he's the better of the guards there. Um, I so, At this point. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's a stand-in for John Wall. Um, John Wall will walk into the starting point guard position when he comes back. Um, Isaiah Thomas is hasn't shown anything since that um, terrible hip injury. And um, I'm rooting for him, actually. I'd love to see yeah. um, Isaiah Thomas come back, and not just because he shares a name with a bad boy's Pistons great. Which isn't the story that he got his name on one of his dad's bets with a friend. His dad was from Los Angeles and was a Lakers fan. And he had a friend who was a Pistons fan. And I think it might have even been about the 1989 NBA Finals <laughs> and the Pistons winning. And if, he, and if they won, he had to name his child. Isaiah Thomas. Um, you can fact check me on that. Isaiah I'd Thomas to see it, is 30.6 years old right now. So that kind of lines up, which is just to say probably not a lot of fantasy upside in choosing either player at the point guard position since we're waiting for John Wall to come back. And I think we expect Bradley Beal to get a lot of the point, the, the ball handling duties. He will be doing a lot of the playmaking from the two. Uh, his usage should be enormous. If you have a chance to grab Bat Bradley Beal in your fantasy draft, highly recommend you doing so. Um, with the caveat that he could be traded. I was going to ask odds. What do you guys take as the odds that he gets traded? If I say... It's an odd situation because that Wizards office does have favorites and they do seem to want to keep Beal in part I think to establish a kind of uh, just level of play there 
a culture, a kind of approach. I but think they the, can get a lot back at a time that they need it. And he's really their only asset that they can get anything back for. And John Wall is out, and there's no guarantee that when he comes back that he's going to be playing at even the level that he was playing at before. And even that was diminished from the level that you would need for them to be a championship team or even yeah. or even a team that was going to make a deep run into the playoffs. And so I think that some team is going to overwhelm them with an offer this year. And I, I put the odds over 50% for sure. And sometimes I can get it in my mind that, it, you know, ticking up into the range of like 70% chance that Bradley Beal – gets moved because he's not well, going to resign. I think we they've ass- telegraphed that now yes. that he's not going to resign. And we assume that if the Washington Wizards are indeed an organization that finally wants to get this right at some point, they move Bradley Beal. You have to move Bradley Beal. There's nothing else here on this roster besides some young guys you want to give minutes. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, you already touched on this, Kyle, saying that he's not going to resign. I think they've offered him uh, a maximum contract ex- extension. So not a full max contract, but a maximum contract ex- extension. And he hasn't signed it yet, as far as I know. So all indications are he's not planning on signing it. He's holding out for the super max. Um, and he's holding out because he likely doesn't want to lock himself into further years on this team, which is not very good at basketball and constantly losing games um and their best or second best player however you want to call it now John Wall is extremely expensive and uh very injured for the foreseeable future and somewhat inefficient when uninjured true um yeah I I I think you know there probably isn't a ton to talk about here with the Wizards um well, we can talk about all the Lakers players that just got thrown away to them. Thomas <laughs> well, Bryant. I mean, Morris, some of their best players got thrown away to them. Tyus, Thomas Bryant will be starting at center. Bertans, who came over in the steal with the Spurs with the misunderstanding or whatever happened there. Um, you know, we have Bonga here. Wagner, um, as I mentioned. Oh, yeah. Wagner. Wagner. Um, Isaac Bonga. But, yeah, this is just a mishmash of players that – doesn't really create Play, Jermario Jones. Jamario Jones was a Laker too, right? Was he? I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think yeah, we're talking about Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, Jamario Jones, and Isaac Bonga all coming from the Lakers in you know, in their salary dump. I mean, there are a lot of Lakers just sprinkled out there in the NBA ether uh after this uh A D trade. <laughs> Uh, that that is a very true thing. Um, there are a couple of interesting, d- d- despite what we just said, there are a couple of interesting positions to talk about here. Um, the Washington Wizards at small forward. Are we starting Troy Brown Jr.? I assume um, over C.J. Miles, who they brought over. Um, not a ton of other options there. Um, but Brown could be an interesting, solid, upside, end-of-draft pick for your fantasy team. Any thoughts on that position? That's the three we're talking about, the yeah, small the three. position. Yeah, I don't really see him doing much. Um, I, I still see whatever role C.J. Miles has, if, he, you know, if he's going to play the backup shooting guard, I still think that he'll get um, – you know, a good portion of his minutes at small forward. And I think that 
um, even if Troy Brown Jr. starts, that you'll you'll see C.J. Miles getting more minutes and probably having a, a bigger real world and fantasy impact. Yeah, this is this is one where it's going to depend a lot on Brown's development. If yeah. he had some improvements over the summer, he might get most of the minutes. If not, he may get fewer or it'll be a split. Jalen, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about the minutes distribution uh, between C.J. Miles and Troy Brown Jr., although C.J. Miles can also back up the two, so maybe he'll have further opportunity to get minutes by backing up two positions. Um, I think we know for sure, obviously, Bradley Beal is going to play a lot. And I think we can safely assume that Rui Hachimura is going to play a lot as well. Yeah, um, we won't see him. And uh, Thomas Bryant also recently signed a contract extension, one of the few people that they actually signed and didn't let go or trade in a sign-in trade. So I think you can assume those three players are going to see a lot of minutes. And then um, it all depends on, I think, how the season goes for Ishmith and Isaiah Thomas and Troy Brown and C.J. Miles. Right. I've seen a lot of suggestion that Hachimura may could take over the power forward position, but we have Bertan starting there. Um, Can we talk about Hachimura as a keeper? Yeah, let's do or, it. For dynasty leagues, because yeah. I think that he has some real potential for impact this season, and he's on a terrible team. He's gonna he's gonna get all the run that he can handle, and I think he can handle a lot. And I think that he has real opportunity to put up counting stats he'll be very inefficient i'm sure as most rookies are and that probably only makes him really valuable for certain builds um i actually don't know what his free throw percentage was in college or what he projects to have this year um either of you know it looks like 73 percent. that's pretty low i mean but he's probably not going to shoot enough for it really to hurt you so um he was 79, I guess, as a sophomore um, that's, in 2017. That's a pretty solid number, though. Okay. So maybe he's got a chance to... Usually figure they'll get, they get a couple of points ticked off in their, their first season often is what happens. Just the, I think, the magnitude of the games. Um, do you guys have other Wizards points? Because really the only other thing I have to say is Watch how bad the real team is for fantasy opportunities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's well, a, a true. I think that's true. Generally speaking, um, Thomas Bryant's going to be. I I think that he has a chance to be. I don't know, maybe fifth round player. He's I mean, an we'll interesting the, pick. Big numbers and efficient numbers for a big man in a in a particular build. He could be even more worthy. Um, than a than a sixth round or a fifth round too. I mean, he can, he can be very valuable because he can shoot free throws. Yeah, I, I think if we're talking about lessons for fantasy and opportunities for um, exploiting a very bad real NBA team, you know, Thomas Bryant is a great example of that. Um, as you pointed out, Kyle Hachimura is also a great example of that. These guys who are going to get lots of minutes and be able to put up stats for you, even if they're not hyper efficient. Um, and Bertans, I think certainly someone you want to keep on uh, your radar. I'm not sure what his usage will be like, uh, but he shot 42% from three last year on five attempts. Uh, so he can shoot. Um, and we know he can shoot. He's a stretch big. Um, he seems like he'll be able to play either the center or, or the power forward position. He's 6'10", so hopefully he'll be able to move between those two positions. 
Um, so, you know, look for look for opportunity and look for stats from this team, even though they're not going to be a great watch in the real NBA. And Bradley Beal is, as we talked about before, is super good. You know, so if, if you can get Bradley Beal, definitely do it. And if Ish Smith does start, do we see an uptick in his in his numbers? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, I, well, relative, it depends on what uptick, depends on what you're possibly. talking about. Relatively, last year, yes, he missed a lot of time last year. He had a big role on the Pistons. I think that you know he was still playing twenty some about twenty low twenties, low twenties, yeah, low twenty two. I mean. I think that that's probably where you'll see him again. Um, you know, probably um, you know mid twenties. He maybe gets yeah. Monster a few has more, him at twenty five minutes. A few more minutes a game, but I don't think it's going to be a huge uptick. And he's not going to have as much around him, which I think could lower his efficiency. You know, from the field. Um, I want to make two points about young players on. You know, bad teams, um, even sometimes the middling teams, um, when it comes to fantasy. Uh, one is um, rookies and young players like Thomas Bryant. They often haven't played um, you know, full NBA seasons, and it's difficult to count on them for you know the, the typical seventy-five to eighty-two games. And so you know, I shouldn't say eighty-two. Almost no players play eighty-two games, but in those higher range of games. Um, and so you want to factor that in when you're drafting someone like Hachimura and Thomas Bryant. Um, I'm still not completely convinced, especially after last year and all the time he did miss, that you're going to see Thomas Bryant coming out and playing, you know, 70 games. Um, and if he plays only 60, say, his value drops considerably from, I was just looking on Monster and they have him listed as a third round um, option and I think maybe fifth round is a is more um, you know with the injury risk and just the general the load that he's going to have to carry on a team like this um, I think you can it's likely he's going to miss some time um, second part which was I actually want to credit Josh Lloyd with pointing this out um, I wanted to say that there's this myth out there that um, young players um, hit a sort of like freshman wall, you know, a, a rookie wall, and that their numbers go down, um, you know, as the season goes on. And Josh Lloyd was pointing out that um, statistically it's usually the opposite. Um, players tend to get better as seasons go on. And this doesn't really apply to Thomas Bryant and Rui Hachimura so much because they're players who should definitely be drafted. But it does mean that it, it gives you some opportunity to leave a player out there as a free agent and try to nab them later on in the season so that you can keep your, you know, keep valuable players on your roster earlier in the season who may not be valuable later. Um, trying to think of some good players like this. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe somebody well, like Well, with some of the, the. Maybe like Marvin Williams, who we were talking Oladipo about. Oladipo comes back. Yeah. Who gets devalued? Oh, that's true. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Players who are playing in, in place of injured players um, and picking up some of these higher upside players later on in, in the draft. And, uh, you know, Tyler Hero, you know, for for a fantasy team. I 
personally wouldn't draft him. Um, I don't see that there's much use in drafting him, even in a 14-league format. We are a keeper league, so there may you know someone might take a flyer on him. Still pretty boring. But I bet. But I bet if they do. That he ends up on the waiver wire at some point because without a doubt because he's just not going to put up <laughs> enough enough you know enough numbers. Yeah, and I think that's um, the larger point. Even with some of the players who have ability and talent on this Wizards team, for example, Bertans and CJ Miles, I think are proven shooters uh, over a couple seasons in the NBA. But the question for those two guys uh, is volume. So. Uh, if your team is constructed extremely well and you have a spot for one or two players who aren't going to provide much in the way of defensive stats or really other stats outside of scoring and three-pointers, then you know you can include them. You can add them. You can pick them up on the waiver wire. I don't know if you should draft them, but you can certainly add them at some point during the season and get uh, a benefit from that. But if your team is constructed poorly and you're re- relying on basically every lineup spot to give you uh, sort of a full stat line uh you may want to avoid these players um so i guess what i'm saying is build a good team and then you know more players become useful to you um but also in terms of fantasy i think isaiah thomas is someone who's interesting because he had a hip injury and hip injuries are really bad they're extremely tough to come back from um but i think if there ever was a time where he would be fully healed and ready to take a step forward and return not fully to his form of old but um, you know, halfway there, maybe 60% of what he was, 70%, hopefully. Uh, I think this season would be the season where it would happen. So if you want to take a flyer on Isaiah Thomas, I mean, he was pretty electric uh, for uh, a year or two with the Celtics. So yeah, the, the one... place you'll be drafting Isaiah Thomas, if you do, or the cost you draft him at, if you do, will be so low or so late or so low. Nobody at that point in the draft is going to have his upside. So definitely yeah. an interesting And you should flyer. always have some people on the end of your bench who you're ready to drop because you need to be nimble, especially at the beginning of the season. You need to be willing to let players go to pick someone else up. And so in that sense, Isaiah Thomas is a really good pickup because if he comes out and he's playing strong and he gives you you know some tantalizing potential. You look like um, a genius. You You hold on to him. And if he doesn't, He's just the kind of player who you can drop to grab that player who is on the uptick. And if we could predict who these players were going to be. Um, we'd have higher paying jobs. We'd have higher paying <laughs> jobs. Um, and, well, I was going to say, if we could predict who, who they would be. We'd win more money on fantasy basketball than we currently do. Yeah. Can anyone do it, though? I mean, this is the thing I'm actually wondering. I don't, you know... We all were paying attention to Monster Light, but I'm actually kind of curious. Like, yeah. um, Monster got it right sometimes, but they got it as a player was really starting to show, right? There's yes. that moment where after Summer League, you have players who um, have shown something, but it's so like hit and miss whose summer league it was is actually meaningful for their NBA trajectory or who got hot, you know, in a certain setting and when it is never going to recapture it. And it's interesting to me that there's a certain point, of course, where you get a sample size where the analytics say, yes, this player is going up. But then everybody starts to buy in on the player and the, the, the player's window of getting, you know, the, the, the How low. How do you break. recognize yeah. the window early? Yeah. And what I'm saying is that there's always a window like now. 
about a player like yeah. Isaiah Thomas. This where, is his window. Where no one knows. Yeah. You know, the best analytics can't say what whether Isaiah Thomas is ever going to come back or not. Now, of course, he could never come back. And then everyone who said that he was never going to come back looks OK, I guess. But that doesn't leave open the, the possibility that he does heal and people do heal from bad injuries. The one thing I was going to say is he's very different. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, his situation is very different from, say, Wes Matthews, who we talked about recently. Um, Wes Matthews had some down seasons, but he never had a catastrophic fall off in the way where he was basically unplayable. Isaiah Thomas has been in a number of different stops now, been basically unplayable. Yeah. I well, mean, that hip surgery, it's brutal. I've had a version. It takes a long time. And so I think Jalen is correct in the timing here. Like, as, as NBA fans, we've been a little too hopeful for Isaiah Thomas's comeback. If it is going to happen, it is going to be now. There aren't many more chances left for the guy. Like, this is kind of it. Um, and you've made a really good point about the upside that could happen there at this unknown point. That window of unknown is going to close really, really fast. And so it's just that's one of the decision points for whatever kind of league you're in. We're really deep in scorekeeper, 14 deep with 14 players and two ILs. Um, so I'm pretty sure Isaiah Thomas will be a flyer on somebody's lineup in this league and could be an enormous payoff or could be somebody they just, you know, um, put on the waiver wire after week three. So it could be over really quickly, like the Denver Nuggets tryout he had. <laughs> That's great, guys. Um, this has been more focus than anyone should have ever given to the Wizards this season. Um, I'm, well, well, I'm before, considering that maybe we just drop it at this point. <laughs> I, well, well, before we move before we move on, I think I want to return to that question that you posed, Kyle, of how do we know and – is there any way to know? Because I want to hear, so we're all playing fantasy. We're all huge NBA fans. I want to hear um, how we go about making our decisions on players. You know, obviously we're not scouts. Uh, we're not GMs. We're not employed by teams. But, I mean, I know in conversations uh, with you, Michael, we've talked about sort of uh, a league average shooter from three, which is 36%, I believe, right now, um, and 80% free throw shooter. So, there are statistical markers that we look for to see if someone um, with an expanded role can continue to be efficient and continue to put up um, good stats. And I'm, I'm sure, Kyle, I know you're big on defense and steal and block rate and these sorts of things. So, yeah, if there's any point uh, both of you or either of you could speak to about how you profile out what a guy will be in the NBA and how he'll progress and advance. This is about real NBA, not fantasy? Um, it can be both. I mean, I think it's they're intertwined. It's reading the real NBA for fantasy upside. Because they're, yeah, they're, these are different things. Because when I'm picking a fantasy player, I, I look for volume. And I look for a player whose volume is predictable. It's all about the counting numbers, people. I'm all about the counting numbers. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they're the most resilient. Uh, yeah. And that's the reason why you go yeah. for them. And. I look for counting numbers that are, you know, as certain as certain can be, um, given all all the you know unpredictabilities over the course of the season. But that's to say, like I was, like I mentioned last time, you want a player who's been good on a good team. But the only thing that really means is a player who's not going to get played out of their position. 
Okay, right? so a player secure their in mirror. their role. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Secure in their mission usage. Take and, notes, people. And player security, though, means being good on a good team. And uh, there are other ways for you to have, you know, or, or I should say, being good on a good team is a way of of sort of showing long-term security, even though a player who could be fairly, who could be good on a bad team, but wouldn't be playable on a good team, can still have security within their situation. Yeah. So if but, you're if you're good on a bad team, there's an oper- there's a chance you get traded and you don't get as many minutes. But if you're a high-priced player who's good on a bad team, that's obviously less likely. And so that was the first part. And then the second is for fantasy. I'm looking for a player who produces numbers. Um, and it's because numbers, as in counting stats, um, points, assists, rebounds. rebounds, blocks, steals, they're resilient. They tend not to change. They tend not to fluctuate as much. Everyone's talking right now about the the, the crazy variance in like LeBron James's free throws last year. And to me, they don't seem like that great a variance. Uh, people have big drop-offs in or or rises in free in free throw shooting and three-point shooting in field goal percentage from situation to situation, from season to season, because they're they're they are simply categories with greater variance. And As statisticians like to say, chance is lumpy. Chance is lumpy, and the other part is that. Um, to consider when you're when you're talking about counting stats is there are certain counting stats that are that aren't as resilient or when they're not as resilient they'll tell you something. Michael and I talked a lot last year about how players who are injured and it could be a minor injury that maybe even the team isn't reporting will start to show particularly lower steal numbers and they can point to Injuries that are going to come further on. So if you start to see a player's steal numbers drop, it could be an opportunity to sell high, to sell, to, to trade high in, in a situation where the player could be battling something that is going to turn into something worse or is going to be, um, you know, a, a, a generally um, – uh, What's what's the well, word? It could you know, be just a just chronic a... injury that's going to um, you know affect them in other categories as the season goes on. Right, and it it, it was something. Um, this is this is purely anecdotal, based on players uh, that we followed over the last couple of fantasy seasons. But it was something we started to notice with certain players that we were expecting more out of. That drop off in steals almost always came before an injury or some other time off and you would actually see the opposite as well if you're looking for somebody on the wire and you see an uptick in that stat especially the steel stat but the block stat also rebound stat i think plays into this a little bit it's those hustle stats when you have a healthy player those numbers pop more they just simply do. I wish I had enough data crunching energy to go and actually figure this out. But I know there's something there. And they there. seem to bode well for other stat categories. I remember last year, De'Aaron Fox, his steals in his uh, field goal percentage um, were like wedded to one another. And he had these big dips where you could tell he was just sort of run down. Yeah. And he wasn't shooting well and he was getting low steal numbers. And then... 
something would happen and he'd have like these crazy five steal games and then all of a sudden he was sort of back up and he was you know I didn't I didn't get to watch a ton of his games until later in the season but I'm imagining what happened is he was probably playing a little sluggish and then all of a sudden that spark came back yeah yeah the other thing I'd add to this discussion is there are players I have a short list of probably 20 they're most often waiver wire guys young guys coming up on teams I have a little category of players I simply follow I check their box scores most games. When I see those upticks or I see some change, that's when I'm picking them up. I snagged Mitchell Robinson midseason that way, and I snagged Derek White last year that way. Simply, you know, they were both down at different points. They both weren't getting minutes either because of injury or poor play. There was some sort of turnaround. I saw it first in the box score. And nabbed them as soon as I could when I saw that uptick. So I think that's another way to sort of look for these windows. You can see it start to open in a stat line. You can see it start see it start to close in a stat line. Mm-hmm. So, so Kyle, you mentioned um, resilient stats, and you mentioned sort of the counting stats, as in points, rebounds. Uh, does that extend to blocks, assists, steals? Things are sort of as you're talking about less resilient and dependent on health and energy and those sorts of things. So you're looking for resilient stats. And would you include, I guess, the first question is how far down the box score, um, sort of the if you have an image of a box score, we've got usually assist steals blocks way down to the word the right. Well, how far towards the right do you go uh, in categorizing those as resilient? <laughs> and do you categorize games played as resilient? I would say that blocks are pretty resilient for the reason that they are scarce. Um, and so that if you get some block leaders, you can really run away with that category. Oh, you can dominate it because blocks. As I will next blocks season. Blocks tend to be. <laughs> I was I was gonna say they might be overvalued, but I think that they they might just be properly valued. People go out in the beginning of drafts, fantasy drafts, and they go after blocks, and it's usually like the first category to go away uh, in terms yep. of like being able to get cheap blocks. Um, and it's because so few players do it and do it well. And so I do think that blocks can be a very resilient stat. But resiliency and um, and sort of availability don't necessarily go together. And at some right. points they do. Like um, I think that points is a very resilient stat, mm-hmm. right? But they're and not available and, on the waiver wire. Well, points are easy to get. Points are easy to get. Is points it, are gone on the waiver wire. Well, points are points are gone on the waiver wire, but I mean that they last a lot deeper into a draft. Yes, yeah. right. And you so, can. and so the point is like points are available and resilient, but one of the troubles with points is that as you go farther down the draft, you start to have to sacrifice more of other categories to keep points and they also become more inconsistent so you can get points on the waiver wire but it's hit or miss you know Alonzo Trier is going to score 28 one night and he's going to score eight the next night um and you know you just have to be lucky I think mostly to figure out which night that's going to be and you know you know I think minutes played or games played is resilient but like you said it doesn't always equate to value it doesn't always equate to production so you know there's there's a lot to take into consideration but yeah I just I just wanted to ask those questions uh because I think 
it's instructive for me. It's instructive for our listeners, hopefully, um, you know, all the things to think about and the ways in which we can you can use this and you can apply it to the real NBA and the fantasy NBA. If you if you know if you're writing freelance or if you're just watching the NBA and the guy pops on screen and you go look at his box score numbers and you want to know why is he popping, you know, maybe check out his steal rate, maybe check out his block rate. You know, if you think a guy has a nice looking stroke, a stroke on screen and you look at his free throw numbers and they're 65 percent from the field, then maybe you should be alarmed. Uh, if he's shooting 80 percent from the free throw line, maybe uh, maybe, you know, take a look at that guy. I think we also let's um, table this for now. But um, I have to say but, but, one more thing. No, no, for sure. <laughs> but, but what I, I want to point to something that I want to do next time. Yeah, I think for next time we should do a conversation about um, convergence um, or some term. I want to come up with some term for players like LeBron who get you points, three-pointers, steals, assists, rebounds, high field goal percentage, and th- in that there's that kind of um, build, that th- there's a certain convergence of, of stat categories that they, they pack together, right? So there are a lot they of people- fit together. As in, yeah, there are a lot of people who can give you sort of that build, right? When I say that, like, certain stats are resilient it's also because they're they're kind of they're like redounding to other stats that are within a similar cluster and it makes it easier to go out and get guys who fill multiple parts of this build so it's really you know when we're talking about resilience the idea came out first because we were talking about the re- resiliency of builds right. not the resiliency of categories but i do think that the idea of resiliency applies also to categories it absolutely applies to categories and this is the one other point i wanted to make here when we're talking about those ca- uh, counting stats what we're talking about there, when you're talking about resilience, is really when we're talking about them in categories, we're talking about variance. And when we're talking about variance, we're talking about how many counting opportunities there are in a category. So, for instance, the points category, obviously, has a lot more opportunities. It's going to have less variance and more resilience. The steals and blocks categories, also counting stats, and I generally agree with everything you said about it, Kyle, but they are much smaller counting stats. There are many fewer opportunities there. So they, on that continuum of counting stats, you're up there with points, rebounds. Those are going to be the truly most resilient ones. And on the other end of the spectrum, you're always going to have steals, blocks, turnovers to some extent. Well, the um, odd thing is that blocks are there, there are fewer blocks in a season than there are steals. But block yes. seems to be a more resilient category in terms of being able to lock it down as something you will win than steal. So I'm just saying that counting, you know, pure quantity doesn't seem to correlate necessarily with like the resilience. It correlates of a in a pretty strong way if you break yeah. it down. But they're they're just in the point you're bringing up between blocks and steals, maybe simply a basketball mm. designation rather than a counting designation um but what i'm talking about is just pure statistical opportunity the number of opportunities in a category and how much variance that can create the smaller the number the more possible variance i say we formalize some of this we're gonna have to write it down 
to really make it work. And uh, and then and then we might yeah. be able to deliver it. We're and, gonna uh, have to do some research, but yeah. I mean, I think this it's is all just this right is really here. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, a very long talk about the Washington Wizards. Not deserved. Washington <laughs> Wizards. It was uh, a long con. I was just torturing you. Yeah, that was horrible. I'm sorry that went on for so long. Now we're moving on to the Atlantic Hawks, the most interesting team to talk about in the Southeast. Sorry, Jalen. Um, <laughs> they're only bringing five guys back. Five. Five. Or six if it's Carter. I can't remember. Is Carter signed now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's six with Carter. But four of them will be starting – Three of them are pretty strong young players. I think the question here, well, one thing we know, the Atlanta Hawks are almost certainly going to be better than they were last season. How much better? Vegas has the over-under at 32.5. The Atlanta Hawks sports writers are talking eight seed. Where are we? Well, in the, in the Eastern Conference this year, 32 wins might get you into the eight seed. Um, I hope not. <laughs> I, I hope not too, because if that happens, the Pistons are out and they've won fewer than thirty-two games, which would be a, even no, more. No, I think they got the seven seed with thirty-four. Oh, dude. Okay, yeah, sure, that's possible. Yeah, none of that's possible. The Hawks are not going to get there unless they are truly. The team we saw in the second half last year. They were 29 and 53 for the season. But in the second half, over those last 41 games, they were 19 and 22. John Collins was a big part of that. Trey Young's second half was a big part of that. Herder developing in the second half was also part of that. How close can they can they do that for next season? Could they be 38 and 44? Hmm. How good is Jabari Parker? My other question here about Jabari Parker is, do we have to talk about Jabari Parker? If we're talking <laughs> about the Hawks winning 38 games, I think you have to – Jabari Parker is going to have to be a player for them off the – I mean, they don't have enough scoring. It's, well, it's the first thing that jumps off the page is that they don't have enough scoring unless Jabari Parker is getting them 18 points a game, so this which is, I think he can do, right? It's not going to happen, man. Off the bench. <laughs> off the bench, 18 points a game. So you this, have him running the second unit. Uh, the first option on the second unit. That's what's happening here. Um, I mean, I'm kidding. I don't really think he can get 18 points a game, but... He'll I, so, I so, mean, we have some scoring. We have 22 points from Collins. What did Trey Young average, Jalen? 2020 last year? You no. got it. You, you can look it up. So this is what oh, I was going to say. This is, this is what I was going to say about the Hawks. So I, I kind of disagree in terms of the offense because uh, the Warriors led the NBA in offensive rating last year at uh, 115. I think that's per 100 possessions, right? Yeah. Um. And the Hawks' best lineup, their starting lineup, had an offensive rating of 113.2. So they can put up points. They can score. Trey Young is really good, and John Collins together alongside Trey Young in that pick and roll are really good. So the only problem with that lineup is Dwayne Dedman's gone, Torian Prince is gone, 
So, you know, those were two key pieces in that lineup that had 113.2 offensive rating. Uh, the other problem for the Hawks is that lineup had 117.7 defensive rating. So um, <laughs> they were giving up just more than they were getting. So I, they were playing I don't think... against the best offensive team every night. <laughs> they were uh, <laughs> by way of their defense. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they made every opponent the best offensive team every night. So I think that's the real problem on the defensive end. And I'm not sure how much they can improve in that regard. Dwayne Dedman's a good defender. He's gone. Torian Prince is a good defender. He's gone. Is Hunter the defensive savior they want him to be? I don't think so. I mean, I think he'll be good, but I don't think he'll be a defensive savior. Um, so, I mean, I and I, I know this in part, you know, from research and also Matt Moore has been beating this drum uh, of the Action Network has been beating this drum for weeks. It seems like every podcast I listen to, he's on. He's like, I just watched film on Devin Booker. I just watched film on uh, Donovan Mitchell. I just watched film on X player. What I've learned, the Hawks are really bad at defense. So <laughs> the Hawks are going to make whichever player you're playing. So if you're playing DFS, pay attention to uh, when that player and some players in your lineup are going to play against the Hawks. So I don't know if they can get in the playoffs. I think maybe the jump comes in a year or two from now. Um, but I do think they are a league pass team. They're going to be fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. Um, I mean, we should talk about their rookies. I mean, they had one of the most interesting drafts. Um, I well, think the, I think we need to we we have to talk about DeAndre Hunter. Um, you want to just taken, go? You want to just go through positions now? And, well, well, I mean, before we move to that, did you think they were going to make the playoffs, Kyle? Or either of you? No. no I don't have either. them making the playoffs. No. I don't have them making that kind of improvement, um, in part because they, they're they only bringing back six guys. I think there's going to be a kind of lack of continuity, and they need pieces. They need something from Hunter and Alex Len that we're not sure they're going to get. Yeah, I mean, I think they sneakily lost some important pieces in Deadman and Torian Prince, um, and they added Jabari Parker and Chandler Parsons. I, I don't think those two pieces are good for your defense. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see the defense improving very much. I don't see them making the playoffs. But, I mean, I think one thing, and this can lead into discussion about their offseason, is that they've They've cleared the runway for their young guys pretty much. You know, Torian Prince is gone, so Hunter immediately walks into that starting small forward position, I think. Um, and I, if he doesn't, then he's going to still get plenty of minutes. So, yeah, um, a projected starting five. They've got three, they got four guys who are 21 or 22, and then Len is 26. Yeah. When. When I forget the rules of the NBA, I can talk myself into no team from the Southeast Division making the playoffs. The Magic <laughs> will make the playoffs. The Heat will make the playoffs. But will they? Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. I think the Magic <laughs> and the Heat will make the playoffs. Uh, I don't think the Hawks or Wizards are making the playoffs. I don't think the Hornets are making the playoffs. And if, if one of the teams from— If only because of those bottom three teams, the top two teams can make the playoffs— It'll help. They're, they're they're bad. It'll help. <laughs> I mean, but look at we just did the Central Division. The Cavs aren't making the playoffs. <laughs> they're pretty bad. And the Bulls, even though I'm like kind of high on the Bulls and they're fun, they're still a young team. They still kind of have a checkered injury history. They definitely did last year. So I mean, they could very easily just sort of fall off the face of the earth as well. Definitely. 
Um, there are some odd points of discussion here at different positions for the Hawks. Trey Young, obvious starting point guard. Evan Turner's the backup. Yeah, Presumably. Um, last year we had Herter getting some of those playmaking minutes in the second unit. I don't know if we're going to see that again or whether most of that's going to go to Turner now. Um, how do you see, like, what happens if Trey Young gets hurt? So, I mean, that's another reason why they're probably not going to make the playoffs. If Trey Young misses any time, they're just cratering. I mean, he is sort of the the engine that makes the offense yeah. go. They don't run without him. So, uh, Another interesting uh, position uh, battle of sorts. Um, I think they're definitely starting Herter at the shooting guard, but they brought over Crab in his expensive contract. I assume Crab is just the backup there. Um, probably not a lot else to talk about. I do like Herter's upside. He started to show some interesting flashes last year and apparently has put on about 20 pounds of muscle uh, over the year that's going to help him um, on defense and also uh, just getting open. He just needs the smallest window at times. So um, I, I, I'm looking for some uh, an interesting season from Kevin Herter. Yeah, Kyle, did you want to uh, lead the discussion about their offseason? So I have a question um, as you're sort of preparing to make that point. How do we feel about the Hawks giving away what was, I believe, the 8th, uh, 17th, and the uh, 35th pick or a later pick? I think it was 8, 17, and another pick to New Orleans. So they moved up to get Hunter. Um, and the two, Who could have been there with the 8th? Who could have been Potentially. there. Potentially. And the two They people, might have had word that he was going to go – before then but and the two people that the pelicans drafted with those picks were uh Nikhil alexander walker and jackson hayes who looked very who good, good. <laughs> very exciting they both looked really good in summer league um and i and i could only imagine what jackson hayes would look like alongside john collins who is a stretch big who can sh- who can shoot the three um and what jackson hayes would look like catching lobs from trey young so I don't know who's making all the decisions in New Orleans. Um, you have to just think it's David Griffin, and he's it's David Griffin. He's just great. they're all different now. It's David Griffin. Yeah. The, well, the other thing I think that's the, that the the point you brought up, Jalen. Um, I read a lot about that because I was surprised by how much they gave up to move up so few spots for a guy who could have still been there, as we've just said. One of the interesting rationales I saw. Um, is that the feeling was Hunter was such a specific player, such a particular 3 and D guy, that that was exactly what they needed to go with this young core. They're hoping he does some sort of covering up on D for Trey Young and Kevin Herter a little bit. Um, The idea was that he was so, that that player is so rare that they had to do that to get him there. Counterpoint. Yeah. Markel Fultz. Yeah. Drafted for the same reason. Yeah. Just, just in the sense that he filled the specific name th- yeah. that that team had at that time. and That's where we it, see players overvalued. And it over cratered. And over. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that that will happen with DeAndre Hunter. But I do think that it has the potential to be the same kind of um, – you know, lackluster pick or in you know continually questioned pick yeah so I mean I think this is a good opportunity to talk about 
Travis Schlink, who's the decision maker there in Atlanta. Former Be- warrior? Yeah, former warriors, front office, front office uh, individual. I think it's interesting because, so in our first pod, we talked about Danny Ainge and Sam Hinkie. And we talked about how Danny Ainge, you know, stockpiled all these assets. Um, he cashed some of them in to get Kyrie um, in a smart move, you know, trading away Isaiah Thomas, who had just been injured. Um, and then everything kind of fell apart. And the we had all these other stockpiles of picks that never really turned into much. I mean, they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but certainly not the return that they were hoping for, not the deep run in the playoffs, really, that they were hoping for. Even though they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, they were never really a real threat to win the championship. Um, and now they're sort of starting over. Um, and so I don't think we're ever going to be able to say that about Travis Link based on his track record so far. Um, he traded uh, he traded down uh, to draft Trey Young um, and got some extra picks. So so he's already not taken Luka Doncic in, and he's got picks back. So he was like, basically, he, he essentially said, I think the difference between Trey Young and Luka, and Luka Doncic is small enough that these extra assets that I'm getting in this draft day trade uh, is worth it. Um, and then he basically said the opposite um, now with DeAndre Hunter. And so I think what I'm saying is he's cashing in uh, his chips as soon as he can, as soon as he sees someone that fits the build of the Hawks. And I think I'm also saying and emphasizing that he is building with fit in mind. So Trey Young next to Kevin Herter and next to DeAndre Hunter. So they're at different positions. They have complementary skill sets. Kevin Herter is a knockdown shooter. DeAndre Hunter is a 3 and D guy, uh, specifically the D, uh, because as we just talked about, if there's a flaw with this young Hawks team, it's it's the defense. Um, they got rid of DeAndre. Uh, they got rid of uh, Torian Prince, who was young, but maybe just a little bit too old for the timeline that they're currently on. And another uh, hole on defense. Yeah, uh, Dwayne Dedman got too expensive, and now he's gone. So, I mean, I think he's being very intentional and he's definitely building with fit you know so in comparison to the Cavaliers who just seem to keep drafting primary ball handlers or lead guards um who who can shoot the three and be dynamic hopefully it would be interesting thinking about that to go back and look at how the Warriors draft picks in that you know 2010 to 2013 2014 range how they were read in in the san francisco media um you know the bay area media and um and sort of nationally to see if some of those picks were undervalued in a similar way that people basically weren't ready to think the kind of um synergy that would happen between players when they're skill sets complemented each other in that way. I mean, in a certain way, while Harrison Barnes has gotten more counting stats um, in Dallas, um, he was a better player in that situation because Mm -hmm. of the ways that they could amplify his strengths and um, compensate. Yeah. yeah. Compensate for his, his weaknesses. And it's allowed players, you know, I've always loved Draymond, you know, going back to Michigan state. um, But, if you ask me even then, and he was Big Ten Player of the Year that year over Jared Sullinger, um, if you ask me then whether he would become an NBA star and like a Defensive Player of the Year star, I think I would have found it you know, a little too rich for me. Um, 
And it was the particular situation of the Warriors that allowed him to develop that way. And the person who I'm most interested in looking that for is Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if his shooting coming out of Washington, it was Washington, right? Uh, Washington State. Washington State. Um, coming out of Washington State was so um, you know, tantalizing that they had to... Um, Jerry West had to loved him. him. Jerry West loved him, and he was the main factor in that particular pick. And was he widely regarded that way? Not by everybody else, just by Jerry West. Because <laughs> I'm interested to know if he if he was similarly sort of undervalued in a way that a lot of people are undervaluing DeAndre Hunter right now. Um, well, I think especially at the time, because threes didn't have the value when Clay Thompson was drafted that they do now. I mean, part of this was forethought. I think the real issue for Clay was that he wasn't good on defense in in college, and so. Hugh, I think the offensive numbers kind of, well, I don't know if they speak for themselves, but he averaged 21 his, his last year um, in college. but And he shot 39% from three his last year in college. He shot 41% from three his first year in college. So I think the shooting pedigree is there. Um, he was 90 from the free throw line his first year, 80, and then 83 the last two years. So I feel like the offensive pedigree was there, but you're picking this, you know, you've got this high draft pick. And now we think of Clay as someone who's a defensive stopper, who's a force in the playoffs, who's guarding, you know, making Kyle Lowry's life hell, making Kyrie Irving's life hell, making, um, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum really struggle in that series. And so I don't think Clay was this player that he's become when he was coming out of the draft. Um, but I, I think it's a fair question, you know, were these picks sort of underappreciated and undervalued in the same way? And I think DeAndre Hunter is like a good comp for that because DeAndre Hunter is in the sort of um, Draymond Green mode uh, in this team building process, he needs to be the glue guy. He needs to be the toughness. He needs to be the defensive stopper. And I think that's where I kind of see this falling apart. Not falling apart. It's not going to fall apart. They still have assets. They're still young. They still have opportunity to grow. But I just don't foresee, I don't see uh, DeAndre Hunter becoming this sort of generational defensive talent the way Draymond Green has. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. Um I'm not sure there's a ton more to talk about with the Hawks, except there are some really incredible fantasy opportunities here, especially for a dynasty keeper league. Um, Trey Young, obviously. Jalen has him as a keeper. Kevin Herter, I would love to make a keeper, but I'll probably have to let him go this year. Both, I think, could have upside years. Um, We're looking at a monster year, possibly, from John Collins. Um... And then Len, if he makes that shot at the stretch five and can play some reliable defense, some defense in that lineup, uh, could have a steal tour for a big man at the end of your draft too. Uh, any fantasy thoughts about these Hawks from you guys? Yeah, so I mean, I think, I think everything you said is true and interesting. So uh, maybe Kyle and maybe we can all talk about sort of Trey Young because I think Trey Young fits in the mode of. Uh, he's going to give you points. He's going to give you assists. He's going to give you steals, surprisingly. Uh, even though he's not great on defense in the real NBA, he does give you steals. Um, and I think he shoots the, the free throw pretty well. So he's outside of blocks. 
Um, he's not bad in rebounds, but uh, his turnover numbers came his, down too, right? Yeah, so I think he definitely improved as the season went on. The second half of the season, he was really good. Um, so I mean, he's one of these players who is giving you a little bit of everything outside of um, blocks and rebounds. Well, and, and uh, for our listeners out there, Jalen has a kind of great setup. Uh, with he'll have uh, Trey Young as a keeper, and he'll also have Russell Westbrook as a keeper. Kind of a wonderful pair if you're punting turnovers there and field goal percentage possibly, um, and maybe even blocks as well. But uh, a really wonderful pair to build around. Complementary stat lines. That's always what you're looking for. Yeah, and I think Alex Len is interesting, as you mentioned. Um, he shot the three at 36% last year. Um, he's 34% for his career, but he's been ticking up. Um, so if he can keep that up and maybe increase his three-point attempts, he was at two point six last year if he can up that to maybe four a game and maintain that percentage that would be great um and he's also well he's averaged a block uh, a game before he was close uh, he was at 0.9 blocks a game last year so he averages a block uh, a game for his career so if he can give you a block a game 36 percent from three on four attempts um, he's going to give you about six rebounds, five to six rebounds a game. He can be someone who's interesting, and we all expect him to get more playing time now that Dwayne Dedman's gone. So definitely sort of a, I don't know, sixth, seventh round guy, maybe a little higher uh, if, you, if you expect a jump. Yeah, he's definitely going to get an opportunity there. So um, could be an interesting pick toward the middle back end of your lineup. Kyle, did you have anything else? I think it's worth talking about Cam Reddish, um, just in the sense of... Nobody knows where he's going to play. Nobody knows where he's going to play, and he's a big name coming out of college last year. And, um, you know, I I don't see projections on him high, but in a keeper league like ours, um, where we have a rookie draft, I could see a real case to be made for drafting him and seeing where it goes yeah I think he's got a low floor high ceiling um but and maybe I'm dis discrediting or discounting uh his floor um I'd have to look them up I'm not sure see what the shooting numbers are uh but basically he needs to be a three and d guy at worst um and you know the best version of that is a more playmaking um small forward in the likes of, I don't think he'll ever be as good of a defender as someone like Kawhi Leonard, even LeBron James, but, you know, a more offensive minded, a more efficient, high volume, uh, three, uh, more efficient, high volume, small forward in the NBA is sort of the peak, what people think he can be. And the floor is, I think, a three and D guy. And if the three, if he doesn't make the three well enough, then that's obviously a problem. Um, he doesn't have the same pedigree defensively as DeAndre Hunter, but I think he, has some athleticism that is maybe untapped on the defensive end. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he have a higher rating coming out of high school than Zion? I don't know if he was was higher than Zion, but he was definitely highly rated coming out of high school. Yeah, he's been falling ever since. Ever since, yeah. Yeah, I think he's never found his way there at Duke with all the other, you know, high-profile guys like Zion and um, R.J. Barrett. I feel like... 
Hawks fans have to have, you know, a, a little bit of sort of deja vu going on with this. I mean, it feels very much like picking up Marvin Williams after he had a, a very nice run in 2005 um, in, you know, for the, on that championship team at, at UNC and getting a really um, athletic small forward who's a little raw, um, who ha- many people thought could be a star, but then played him his way into being a very you know solid rotation player um, in the NBA, and maybe that's where Cam Reddish is heading. I mean, Reddish is slotted in by Monster as the sixth man there, ahead of Japari Parker. The 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 numbers here are probably right-ish. They have him at 22 minutes and an 18 usage. Um, if he's coming off the bench before Parker, Crab, Bembry, and Turner, I'm less certain. Yeah, it's hard to think that he'll come off the bench before all those guys, especially DeAndre Bem- Bembry. He gives you a little bit of everything. He can handle the ball a little bit, give you some, give you some assists. They can play make a little bit. So yeah, is that is that it? I watched some Bruno Fernando tape uh, oh, before yeah. this, um, and not tape. I just watched YouTube highlights. Um, he's a big, strong guy. Um, his post-up game is a little stiff, but um, you know he's going to be a vertical spacer, a lob threat. He's a you know very strong guy. Looks like he can block shots. I saw him block a couple shots with the with his left hand. So there's some awareness there. Um, I don't think he's going to play much this year, but. You know, if you like big, strong guys, if you're into big guys, maybe keep an eye on him. Will they give him a shot ahead of Jones, Damian Jones? Every center on YouTube blocks and dunks. <laughs> it's e- true. It's e- true. Every wing shoots and, you know, score, you know, shoots threes, hits threes. Um, There's no better place to play basketball ben than Simmons, YouTube. <laughs> ben Simmons hits all his jump shots in the offseason, according to Instagram. Yeah. I mean,. After watching Damian Jones for the past couple of years with the Warriors, I'm I'm not sure how much he's going to give the Hawks. So yeah. if you're counting on Damian Jones to rack up a ton of minutes in his with his new team, I don't know if you should be counting on. I that. mean, I'm just looking at that center position for the Hawks. I don't have a ton of confidence in Alex Len. He's had his chances, hasn't really quite gotten there. He might this year, but. You I know, mean, the thing is, there's no one else. That's the problem. There's <laughs> nobody else. So the other thing that's a possibility here is Collins moves up to the five and Parker Reddish moves in. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly think that's a possibility. I mean, I think they're definitely going to play with Collins at the five throughout games. That might be their closing lineup. Yeah. Might be their most potent lineup, especially if Collins can improve a little bit on defense. But. I think Lynn will still get a fair amount of minutes because they probably don't want Collins banging too much with the bigger guys. Um, so we'll see. But so if yeah. Collins goes up to center, do you see Jabari Parker playing the four? They don't have a lot of power forwards. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a problematic lineup. Um, what I'd love to see is something like Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish in two years, and Collins at the five. I think that's what they're hoping for, too. Yeah, I think that's probably the ultimate plan. But I think, you know, as you're saying this year, Kyle, I think you'll definitely see Jabari Parker. Maybe you'll see Jabari Parker in closing lineups at the four next to John Collins. 
I mean, they gave him a two-year contract. They gave him a player option in the second year. So either he's got a great agent or they have some interest in keeping him there. He got a player option? Yeah. Wow. How much? Um, I think the contract is two years, uh, $13 million, So he's 6.5 a year. Well, they can throw away 6.5 next year. <laughs> Who got the player option here? Jabari Parker. Who's giving Jabari oh, Parker a player yeah. option? Jeez. <laughs> Apparently, Travis <laughs> Schlink. That's why I said he's got to oh, have a good agent. The other thing to say about the Schlink, um, but one of the things has been everybody defers to him in the organization now. He is just sort of everybody loves the direction this team is going. They love what he's done. Can't wait to see what happens in two more years. It's not going to be this year. Yeah, I I think they still have a bunch of picks, so I would definitely keep tanking <laughs> if I was them. All right, that is the Southeast Division of the Eastern Conference. We'll be back next week with the Atlantic. Peace out, Southeast Division. Peace out, Mr. Moneybags, Chandler Parsons. Cheers. <laughs>